If you're listening to this podcast and you haven't had the chance to watch The Mind Polluters yet, we want to let you know that you can watch it online exclusively at themindpolluters.com. The Mind Polluters exposes the graphic sex education, social-emotional learning programs, and the roots of all this corruption in our public school systems, all the way back to Alfred Kinsey and his perverse experimentation on children, and how it was legitimized through publications and eventually codified into law around the world. Have you found yourself wondering where all these pornographic library books came from? Have you wondered where in the world all of this started? Well, The Mind Polluters answers all those questions and more. Watch The Mind Polluters today at themindpolluters.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. You're listening to Fearless with Mark and Amber, a behind-the-scenes of our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features, where we ask tough questions, encourage and inspire grassroots involvement, and pursue truth above all else. I'm Amber Archer, and joining me is my husband, author, director, speaker, Mark Archer. Point, don't be jealous that I've been chatting online with babes all day. If you find this podcast helpful, be sure to subscribe and share this show to help us reach more people. You can learn more about us and the movies we're making by visiting fearlessfeatures.org. And speaking of the movies we are making. Da, 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 da. Hold on. I have sound effects. Okay. Uh, yay. Yay. Okay. So. <laughs> hey, why don't you tell them our news for the <laughs> so first of all thank you for listening to the podcast you are the first ones who are going to hear about this um we have locked in a date for mm-hmm. the first public screening of our new movie dysphoria yes hold on hold on today okay. is best day ever <laughs> so, why don't you tell them the details okay. honey okay so this is going to be a fundraiser for fearless features for our nonprofit ministry mm-hmm. um but it is going to be september 29th mm-hmm. starting at 6 30 okay uh, 6 or 6 30 wait i i don't know if i got that <laughs> i got it i gotta go back and check my my notes but the ink is still wet on these yes. on these plans. <laughs> but it's but it's very, very exciting. So you can join us for our first ever fundraiser event. Can you I'm, believe that we how long have we been have we had our ministry? Uh twenty fifteen? No. It was later than that because we started it was late twenty seventeen when 2017. we started Fearless. So we're going on six years and we're just now doing our first official fundraiser. Yeah, because if you've been if you've been following us for a while, you know that we have literally started all three of these films with mm-hmm. zero dollars. Right. No budget. There this is not big studio, you know, budgets coming in here to make these movies. And might I just, you know, remind people, it's not like we have a lot of employees or anything. <laughs> it literally is the two of us mm-hmm. doing setup editing and producing all of this content it mm-hmm. is just we're a husband and wife team this is yeah. what we do yeah. so when you support fearless features you are literally just supporting mark and amber as missionaries in the field and helping us pay for these things to yeah. get done <laughs> yeah because i mean as we've said and i'm not trying to sound pathetic but i mean yeah when you do films this is not how you this is not generally how you no. do them right and we don't want to keep doing this with we don't want to keep spending our gas and grocery money to get these things done. We're not saying it's not worth it. It has been, and it it's ha- been a struggle it on has our been, end. And the Lord, the Lord has taken care of us. But it's time for us to. We need to grow fearless because um, we're already thinking about our next project after this, and we know that we need to grow, and we need to be able to have the uh, resources to bring some other people on to help us, and have the resources. So if you've been paying any attention at all to what's been happening, we talked about Sound of Freedom, Nefarious, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, Christian worldview films are literally breaking the box office <laughs> yeah. left and right because the world is starved for truth. Well, and I think it's so interesting. So um, we watched just a couple nights ago um, – Jack Hibbs at his church in Chino Hills mm-hmm. screened Nefarious. And this th- like literally packed out the place. Yeah. I don't know how many his church holds, but he said there were several other campuses and they were all 
watching Nefarious. Now, we watched it. Did we talk about that on the yeah, podcast? Yeah, we talked about it, I think, last week. Okay, well, they brought in Steve Dace, um, and he was he was on stage with Jack. And so, one of- so Steve Dace is the one who wrote- Wrote the book. Wrote the book, and he's he's uh, author and as a podcast on mm-hmm, the Blaze, mm-hmm. and just a, a phenomenal story that he has of to how this all came about. But one of the things that he said in um, up there on stage, just right at the beginning, he said, "Storytelling is the last refuge of persuasion left in America today. It's the last place where people will let you go after their worldviews if you can entertain them." Yeah, and I thought that is exactly exactly what we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And we've watched the Lord work in awesome ways. Well, and who was it? There's somebody else famously who said um, the the storytellers. Oh, yeah. The storytellers write uh, write the rules of, I don't remember, some, some, something along those lines. I don't think about how the, the importance here. of storytellers. Yeah. That they're the ones who really guide society. And, mm-hmm. and, and think about that because it's so true. It is Karl so Marx. true. I mean, anyway, scripture. Let's just <laughs> well, just think about our think about our American culture in particular. Mm-hmm. How much of it is guided in every aspect, every hour of every day by pop culture, by films? Yeah, right. Who doesn't know who Darth Vader is? Mm-hmm. Who doesn't know about the Force? Who doesn't know? I mean, on and on, on and on, on yeah. because it has so enveloped our society. And the church has not engaged in this medium like it should until lately. Yeah. It has started to wake up to this. Yeah. And I refer, you know, I kind of call it the democratization of, uh, of, of media. It's the, it's, we're entering a new golden age of independent film mm-hmm. that is going to be dominated by Christians in the arts. And, and again, you have to go back and say, and why is that? Because the world is so confused and Mm -hmm. the Christians are the only ones who know the truth. Because the, as we've, as I've said many times, the zealots are the ones that can save this, this nation. (laughs) You know, like it or not, what, what was that? Uh, I may not be the hero you were oh, looking yeah, for, yes. but I'm the monster you need. Yeah, I'm, I may not be the hero that you're looking for, but I can guarantee I'm the monster you need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talking about zealots. I mean, because yeah. zealots are people who just refuse to compromise yeah. on anything at all. And they're viewed by most people in society and most people in the church view them as zealots, mm-hmm. right? Well, you're, you don't know how to compromise. You, you know what? Compr- the days of compromise are done. We cannot compromise at, in the church anymore. That's well, why we're in this, we're, this mess that we're When we're in. talking about truth, you cannot yeah. compromise the truth. Yeah. And that's really what we're talking about yeah. here. Yeah. So it, it will be the zealots that will say, and, and zealots, you know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we understand you because we're the ones who are who are ostracized. We're the ones who are, you know, uh, pushed out of society and social functions and, you know, the, the, the in crowd. You're nobody wants to be around the, the zealot until the zealot is proven to be right. Mm hmm. And then they want to talk to you, but they're even more suspicious of you because how did you know? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The people that are predicting these things. No, yeah. we're just reading the scriptures is what we're doing. So September 29th. September 29th. Noblesville, Indiana. Life Church Campus in Noblesville, Indiana. Tickets will go on sale next week. And it's going to be a red carpet event. Red carpet event, fundraiser yeah. event. You can dress up, get your picture taken on the red carpet. Step and repeat wall, <laughs> going all out. Right. It's going to be fun. So hope that you can join us uh-huh. for the premiere event. There, we are. We, this is how we are uh, doing the initial season, if you will, of Dysphoria <laughs> is um, is using it a, a, as a fundraiser for Fearless Features. We need to grow this ministry, and we need to get this film into theaters. Yeah. I say we are exhausting. You know, when we release the mind polluters, it was there's always a lot of prayer that goes into these processes. And with the mind polluters, 
clearly the Lord was just telling, take it to the people, take it to the people, take it to the people. We took it to the people and we saw what they did with it. I mean, it's by word of mouth, zero marketing dollars, folks, zero marketing dollars. Word of mouth took, has taken the mind polluters to a hundred and uh, 150 countries Mm -hmm. and changed legislation in many states across the U S we are shipping DVDs to all 50 states. Mm -hmm. So, it is word of mouth and knowing what the Lord has called us to with this one, it has to be in the theaters. Yes. It is one way or another. We are exhausting our efforts to get this film in the theaters. So if you would like to help us with that, mm-hmm. you can by all <laughs> means make a donation to Fearless Features. If you are not in the Indiana area and can't make it, it's one way or another. It's going to the theaters. Right. Or if you'd like, you know, if you're not in the Indiana area. And uh, oh, and you, you know, if you, you know somebody, you, and you, or or if you'd like, <laughs> if you'd like to talk to us about uh, doing a fundraiser screening event in your yeah. area, we could talk to you about that too. Yeah, we're going to do several of these. Yeah. around the country. Mm-hmm. Okay, so September 29th, tickets go on sale next week. Yep. So you heard it here first. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> Where else would you hear it? I don't know. Um, I don't know. We get suppressed everywhere and canceled. I mean, we do. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, so um, so in light of that, then we thought that we would spend the next several weeks mm-hmm. introducing you to the cast yes. of Dysphoria. We've talked about a few of them. We've shared little bits and pieces, <laughs> but we haven't really uh, shared a lot about who's in Dysphoria. Well, which is so funny because I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday and uh, she just said, well, since I don't know who's all in the film. And I thought, oh, that's right. We haven't, like, with the mind polluters, everybody was already listed. So you knew who was going to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. But we haven't really shared any of that information with this one. Yeah, with the mind polluters, we shared we shared the the entirety of the interviews. Yeah. Before the film even came yeah. out. So if you if you listened along with us, some, you know, some of our listeners have been with us for a long time. So you remember that these this content was you know over months and months yeah broken up into multiple episodes and here, and here we are again you get to meet this the cast of dysphoria right so some of them will be familiar yeah and some of them are new so um so today you're going to hear from alex newman mm-hmm. who is a big part of the mind polluters mm-hmm. and uh, so he's we'll also get, a big part of dysphoria now and he's a big part of dysphoria as well so we'll get back to him in a second uh, we have a few interesting things to talk about here in light of what we have researched for dysphoria um uh, this one just i'm just reading here this morning on the blaze the uh, intelligence agency funding research to merge ai with human brain cells so if we have a new listener and we're talking about this movie dysphoria and now you're talking about ai can you give people an overview of what dysphoria is going to be about dysphoria yep dysphoria is about the transgender movement so it's about the we have um so in dysphoria we have three separate real life stories of families who have been impacted by this by this social contagion called gender dysphoria. And then we also talk about where all this came from, the roots of it. Um, who, who can we trace this back to? Um, we've talked about this a a few times, but it goes back to a man named John money. It actually goes even further back than that, but Mm -hmm. he's, he's largely the one who he, he put himself out front and took credit for all of this. Right. So John Money was a researcher at Johns Hopkins University. This was in the, um, gosh, he was he was there, I think, in the 50s. A lot of his research really started in the 60s yeah, through the 70s. Um, and he is the one who is responsible for, if you have studied social sciences at all, you'll, you'll – uh, recognize the case called the John Joan case, mm-hmm. right? The Reimer twins. So anyway, John money and another one of his, uh, uh, contemporaries 
was a guy by the name of Harry Benjamin. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk more about this as we go. But Harry Benjamin, the Harry Benjamin Institute, is what eventually turned into what is now called WPATH. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. WPATH is the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. Yes. WPATH is, uh, they're not a government agency, but they have become the de facto, they've written all the standards of care. It's like and CICUS. Like CICUS, yeah. <laughs> For all this comprehensive sex so if, But if you've watched The Mind Polluters, then you know that, you know who Alfred Kinsey is. So mm-hmm. John Money and Harry Benjamin were devotees of Alfred Kinsey mm-hmm. and very much cut from the same cloth. Right. So. <laughs> so, okay. So there's that. Okay. On to your articles. So back to AI here. So um, this is in Australia. Um, An Australian intelligence agency is funding research attempting to merge artificial intelligence with human brain cells. I should hold on. Let me let me find my uh, my music here to read this. (laughs) Okay. Um. Adil Razi, the project's lead and associate professor from the Monash University's Turner Institute for Brain and Mental Health, explained, This new technology capability in the future may eventually surpass the performance of existing purely silicon-based hardware. This is where it gets creepy. Last year, the research team created a, quote, dish brain. What is that? A semi-biological computer chip with some 800,000 human and mouse brain cells lab-grown into its electrodes. Ooh. The dish brain utilizes lab-cultivated neurons from human stem cells. The scientists were able to train the brain cells to play the classic video game Pong. Uh-huh. And if you click on the link and you, they have a YouTube video, it's just a... It's just a screen recording of Pong being played by their dish brain. Okay. (laughs) The microelectrode array at the heart of the dish brain was capable both of reading activity in the brain cells and stimulating them with electrical signals. So the research team set up a version of Pong where the brain cells were fed a moving electrical stimulus to represent which side of the screen the ball was on and how far away from the paddle it was. They allowed the brain cells to act on the paddle moving it left and right. Huh? I'm not even sure what to say about that. I mean, it's just so creepy. I'm trying I'm trying to like envision what this even looks like. You're the person. How do you you go to work every day and this is and this is what you do and mm-hmm. uh, like oh what? is it alive? That's, well, that's the interesting <laughs> question. Frankenstein. Some experts contend that the brain-powered biological intelligence operating system is the future of AI because it is self-programming, requires less memory, conserves energy, and can learn throughout its lifetime like human brain cells. Well, what is its lifetime? Well, of course they don't know because they're trying to play God. And that's exactly what I was getting at. So, yeah, um, that's what I got there. <sighs> wow, okay. Um, how about this other one from, from uh, I got this off of InfoWars, but they're ref- referencing a Wall Street Journal article. And oh, I, you know it's going to be good. And I have a uh, an audio clip to go with this that I'll play in a second. Okay. Um, the the what is it uh diversity officers are being laid off in mass companies fear legal action in wake of affirmative action ruling so um the diversity officer racket now we're talking about dei mm-hmm. diversity equity and inclusion the racket is rapidly contracting due to economic woes and fears of lawsuits that have only amplified in the wake of the Supreme Court striking down affirmative action in college admissions. Two years ago, chief diversity officers were some of the hottest hires into executive ranks. Now they're increasingly left out in the cold. Companies, and this is interesting, 
companies including Netflix, Disney, and Warner Brothers, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, have recently said that high-profile diversity, equity, and inclusion executives will be leaving their jobs. Thousands of DEI workers have been laid off since last year. I feel so bad for them. And some companies are scaling back racial justice commitments. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, DEI jobs were put in the crosshairs after many companies started re-examining their executive ranks during the tech sector's shakeout last fall. Um, some DEI officers say their work is facing additional scrutiny since the Supreme Court struck down uh, affirmative action. Uh, new analysis from employment data provider Live Data Technologies shows that chief diversity officers have been more vulnerable to layoffs than their human resources counterparts, experience a 40% higher turnover. Um, and it's interesting because they talk about how much these people get paid. Well, and what's interesting is how soon will they be removed from the schools? Oh, because everybody has hired on their diversity, equity, and inclusion officers. So you're just going to keep peddling it into the schools first mm-hmm. and well, continuing that, it. That's interesting. So uh, let me fast forward here. Uh, diversity officer is the ultimate grift. <laughs> <laughs> this woman, Ashley Shackelford, who we're going to hear from in a second, a true DEI pioneer, summed up the entire field many years ago in a legendary presentation, which I'll play for you in a second. Um, LinkedIn, which is completely woke, reported in 2021 that diversity officer was one of the fastest growing careers with salaries ranging from 72,000 to 97,000. Speaking of universities, Robert Sellers, the chief diversity officer at the University of Michigan is paid. Guess how much this guy gets paid? I have no idea. Like a hundred thousand, four hundred and seven thousand, six hundred fifty-three. Oh my gosh! To, and they're the ones peddling the hate. Like, that's, oh my gosh! That's University of Michigan. Jabbar Bennett, Vice President and Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at Michigan State University, is paid around three hundred thousand a year. Oh, it don't, and parents, don't you just feel lovely that you send your kids mm-hmm. to? universities to be indoctrinated and told to hate themselves and all that they are in this country. He also gets a $700 monthly vehicle allowance. Oh, well, good for him. Uh, Antonio Farias, chief diversity officer at the University of Florida, is paid $280,000 a year. Liz Tovar, University of Iowa, two hundred fifty thousand. So I don't feel so bad that you know their jobs are being eliminated. I don't feel bad at all. G G G Sekuban, Vice President for Diversity and Inclusion at Ohio University, two hundred thousand a year. Well, you know what? Just it made me think. You know, I'm going to find that article. I found an. I know that there's another article. There's a a guy in Toronto, a principal who committed suicide because of the DEI training. Go, but go ahead. I want to hear this lady. Who is this? Okay, this is um, Ashley Shackelford. Okay, give me a second here. All white people are racist. So <laughs> I put this up because I really want any white person in the room to know up front that this is what we're dealing with, that it's not going to be this coddling of white tears and what that looks like. We're not going to discuss, oh, maybe some of us have worked it out. No, you're always going to be racist, actually. So even when you're on your path to trying to figure out how to be a better human being, um, because I believe that white people are born into not being human. Like that actually, instead of people of color and black folks being dehumanized, that actually everyone is dehumanized off rip within white supremacy, that y'all are born into a life to not be human. And that's what y'all are taught to do, to be demons. So in this particular way, white people are all racist. So I just want y'all to know that up front. (laughs) Okay, okay. So this is, and this is, uh, this was. You know, a screen record. I'll, you, hey, I'll, hash, I'll share the link. life goals, right? Yes. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm I'm not going to comment on her personally. Okay. I'm only going to talk about the content. She, the content of what she's saying. I don't know her, but if you're getting up in front of a room know, full a, of a room full of executives, I mean, high level employees at, at some corporation i don't remember where she's at but she's 
she has no shame. I mean, talk, you want to talk about You have to watch the video and you'll, you'll see what I mean. This woman has no concept of shame <laughs> <laughs> at all. You look at it and go, what are you? You have to watch it. What are you wearing? That's that's all I'm going to say. What what were you thinking here to get up in front of all these people and tell them because you're white, you're always going to be racist and you're demons. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So all good things, all good things. Oh, oh here. So, so anyway, so I found it. A DEI training accusation of white supremacy led former Toronto principal to commit suicide, his lawyer claims. A former principal, I'm reading this from The Blaze, and I'll leave a link to it for you guys to um, read it. I'm just going to read um, sections of it here. A formal, a former principal with the Toronto District School Board took his own life after enduring years of accusations of white supremacy for defending his country at a DEI training, uh, a DEI training once. In 2019, Richard Bilkzito went into semi-retirement with the TDSB after more than two decades in education. Apparently unmarried with no children, he spent years dedicating his life to serving non-traditional students, especially recent immigrants and those enrolled in adult education. Even after his retirement, Bill Cito continued to involve himself in the district as a con a contract principal, filling in as needed for other administrators on leave. In 2021, Zito and his fellow administrators attended a, a diversity, equity, and inclusion training session. So remember, and that's the thing with this DEI, how long has it really been around? It really started amping up just in the last few years. Yeah. Well, you've got, you, in, and in America, you have Barack Obama to thank for all this. Yeah, so most of it, yeah. He's the one that really, really mashed on the accelerator on this. Um. Anyway, so they had this diversity, equity, inclusion training session led by the Kojo Institute, which aims to, quote, deliver innovative solutions that achieve equitable outcomes, improve culture, and produce transformable results. You know, because they always sound great, mm. right? That's what it says on its website. During the training, Kojo Institute founder Kike Thompson allegedly asserted that Canada was a, quote, more racist place than the U.S., and that it, and was a bastion of white supremacy and colonialism. We see this everywhere yeah. from the left. That's, yeah. You're a white Christian nationalist. It's white supremacy. You know, um, parents who are going to school board meetings have been labeled by the Department mm. of Justice and the Department of Education as terrorists, terrorists, domestic terrorists. Yeah. I mean, this is literally what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is, uh, and as you'll see, when you, when you, when you come to our premiere and watch dysphoria, you're That's going right. to hear about how this is all, when they first start trying to talk to kids about convincing them that they're transgender. And one of the first things they tell them is this is going to lead to suicidality. Mm -hmm. I mean, all through this in, even in all their own materials, warning parents, how to deal with the side effects of suicidality. Wait a minute. Your everything that comes out of these people's mouths may lead to suicidality because it's the doctrine of demons. Mm -hmm. They want to make they, they prey on people who are already vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And Satan just laughs mm -hmm. when somebody, when a kid or in this case, an adult is so beat down by this demonic doctrine that. You know, you're white, you're an oppressor, you're a terrible human being. And then they finally end their life. Mm -hmm. That's their goal. Yeah. That's all. That's what Satan wants. And they're never to blame. Right. And it's never their fault. Right. right. And it's it's always the people around them. You know, right. It, well, that's what they try and say about parents now. If you don't affirm your kid. Right. It's your fault. That's right. And and we're going to take your child from you mm -hmm. to keep them safe from you. Okay, well, let's get back to Alex. Okay. We, we well, let's, let's go to break real quick, and then we'll come back with Alex. Okay. Hey, friends. We love hearing from our listeners who tune into our podcast every week. We're always looking to connect with our community and create content that truly resonates with you. If you have a suggestion or topic you'd like us to cover, you can now write us at fearlessfeatures.org forward slash mailbox. 
Your support and encouragement mean the world to us, and we couldn't do this without you. Thank you for allowing us to share our passion and knowledge with you. Link to the mailbox is in the show notes. Okay, so let's talk to Alex Newman. So, well, if you don't know who Alex is, he is a dynamic educator, author, speaker, and world-renowned journalist. He has a distinguished track record of hard-hitting reporting and a global reputation for excellence. Alex has captivated audiences with his fearless pursuit of the truth, and he is the founder of Liberty Sentinel. He is committed to promoting liberty and empowering individuals to take control of their lives. Right. So what we've done here is we've got uh, we've got a couple of clips from these are just like raw clips from our sit down interview with him. Mm-hmm. These aren't necessarily like clips from the film, mm-hmm. but um, other other things that we talked about yeah. with him that are just compelling. So here's wealth that. of information. Here's Alex. Well, one of the things that I think is really important for people to understand is that this is a new phenomenon. Um, you know, I, I think anybody who's my age, a millennial, grew up and remembers that there was no such thing as transgenderism. When we were kids, the word transgender wasn't in the dictionary. Uh, I had a, a unique upbringing. I, I grew up in many different countries on many different continents with every kind of kid you could ever imagine. Uh, you know, Jews, Hindus, Buddhists, Shintos, um, from you know, every race, ethnicity, creed, etc. Um, and, and never did it ever occur to any of the kids that I grew up with, at least not that I knew of, that they might be a different gender. This is a, a thoroughly modern phenomenon. If you look at the data now, depending on whose data you're looking at, it's over a fourth, in some cases even more than that, of kids who are, de- are identifying as gender nonconforming, something other than boy or girl. And um, this has been very strategic, and this has been a, a process of normalizing this. And uh, and what's happening in the public schools now is a deliberate attempt to convince our children that they may be transgenders. It's being portrayed as cool. And in fact, there's a really insidious thing that they're using now to, to catch a lot of the kids. Um, they've through critical race theory, which I think is intimately related to the war on society, civilization, family, et cetera. But they're, they're telling these kids in school that um, if their ancestors are European, they are by definition oppressors. They're by definition part of the uh, the class that is responsible for everything bad in society. And if they're part of some minority group, then they're part of the victim class. This is really just a, a slightly refurbished um, communist tactic, the same tactic that was used in communist China, the Soviet Union, the same tactic that's been used in every communist revolution where you divide the society up into two classes and you accuse one class of being the oppressor class, the other of being the oppressed. So in in typical communist revolutions, the, the model has been the bourgeoisie and the proletariat, uh, the bourgeoisie being the landowners, the business owners, the people who had some uh, some capital, and the proletariat being the the working class, the oppressed masses, that that really didn't translate well into the American context. So they came up with new categories. And uh, now they've they've told all these little kids that uh, either you're an oppressor or an oppressed, we're going to create a a gender matrix for you. And uh, if your ancestors came from Europe, if you're male, if uh, if your family's Christian, if you're native English speakers, et cetera, then you're in the oppressor class. And, and, you know, what kid wants to be part of the oppressor class? None, obviously, because that's horrible. Then you're you're bad. Um, But then they give them an out. But if you were, say, hypothetically a gender or sexual minority, if you were maybe attracted to the same sex, if you felt like a pan-gender or an agender, uh, then, you know, you'd move over to the victim class and, you know, then uh, people would feel sorry for you. Then you'd get extra bonus points and you wouldn't be one of the mean, horrible oppressors. So it's one of the psychological tricks that they're using to, to get children um, ensnared in this movement. And, uh, you know, I, there are, of course, some children who have some sort of problem, and it's always been recognized as a problem, gender dysphoria, where they have uh, this intense feeling of being in the wrong body. And, you know, I, I have endless sympathy for people who are suffering from that. But I think the vast majority of the kids that are being put through this, uh, they're being encouraged to do that. And and if you look at the data that's come out, um, I think it was Dr. McHugh at, um, at Johns Hopkins University has done a lot of research on this. He has found that the overwhelming super majority of these children, if you just let them be, if you don't persuade them that they need surgery, that there's, that that's normal, um, they'll end up perfectly fine by the time they turn adults. But what happens is they get them hooked on this process. The, uh, they do the gender transition plans, and they're doing that everywhere, even in the most conservative districts and conservative states. They've got these gender transition plans that are coming in. Um, 
and and they're getting these kids hooked into it. They're starting them on puberty blockers. They're starting them on uh, testosterone or estrogen, and this starts changes in the body that are that really um, are irreversible. They're falsely telling these kids that um, oh the puberty blockers that's fully reversible. That's baloney. Uh, they're not. Once you get them started on that path, the further they go down the path, the harder it becomes to find an exit ramp and get off of it because then that's part of your identity. That's part of the reason why people like you. And to try to leave that, you're you're ditching all your friends and they're going to hate you with a passion. So it's um, it's very, very sinister. It's it's so evil, I think, what's going on. And, um, and I think the vast majority of parents who are being hit by this are being hit totally by surprise. They have no idea that their children are being groomed to um, – to exist in this kind of lifestyle until it becomes too late. And that's when, you know, the government comes in, they do the transition plan. And then, um, you know, then it really gets serious. If the parents object, then they, they say that they're trying to subject them to conversion therapy, that the children need to be protected from their parents because uh, they might become suicidal if they're not affirmed in their new gender. Um, it, it really is beyond evil. I can't believe you just tied in. I couldn't understand until you just started talking about it. The like the communist goals and using the CRT, this oppressor oppression. And duh, why do we have what is it? The majority of trans those identifying as transgender are white girls. Yeah, is that? I mean, how is that possible? Why? And you just said it. I never understood. Why is it affecting this group of people? And, and that's it. So I, uh, wow. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you constantly tell people what we were just talking about all this DEI, uh, you know, you're constantly telling one section of people that they're constantly the oppressors and so why do they why do they have any inkling to want to run to be an opposite sex um uh, you know not be uh, what's that word i mean you know not not relinquish um you well, know to not be not be a part of the ostracized part right. of society like, now, i don't, right? don't want to be white anymore like right what <clears throat> what what is the deal right well and uh and part of this too is so here's one of the the confusing terms that was made clear to me as we were going through researching this film is this this term of intersectionality mm -hmm. you hear this a lot and they you know, this is the thing, because this is all being perpetuated by these uh, academics, mm -hmm. quote unquote academics, right? Like these DEI officers, mm -hmm. right? They're scam artists. They they have they've perpetuated this lie and then written themselves into the equation right. that there's this societal problem and we're the only ones that can help you with this. Our and, citizen firefighter. Right. Right. And so they they get themselves into these positions where they're making enormous amounts of money. What would you say? Like four hundred thousand dollars? Yeah, four hundred thousand dollars <laughs> for for somebody who does what? Right. Yeah. Who, who just messes everything up. This is what you see happening with Disney, mm -hmm. just as an example. And Budweiser. Mm -hmm. Right. Where they get. So back to intersectionality. Intersectionality is if you think of an intersection it's you know it's multiple paths intersecting so uh -huh. the more of these quote unquote oppressed classes that you can claim that's intersectionality so so you're you're a white anglo-saxon english speaking female mm -hmm. so if you want to bump yourself up in society then you embrace intersectionality and you, you know, you change your gender, you say you're non, you know, all of these different new labels and, meanwhile, and flags. I'm, that you, <laughs> me, meanwhile, I'm more, more um, susceptible to suicide. Right. And, really well. So we don't, don't, let's not but point that's out not, any facts. But that's not, no, that's, that's because everybody is so oppressive. Okay. <laughs> that's yeah, everybody right. else's fault. Right. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So that's personal responsibility. That's, that's intersectionality is one of those one of those <sighs> baloney terms that they've come up okay. with. Okay. Okay. So more more from Alex. Here we go. Well, I, I think the communist angle here is a critical part of understanding this. I mean, Karl Marx was very, very clear right from the beginning that the nuclear family had to be destroyed. The nuclear family was a bourgeoisie institution and it had to be crushed. 
because in the communist way of thinking, um, it really needs to be the state uber alles, as National Socialist Adolf Hitler would have put it. The state needs to be supreme in every sphere. And so the family is an obstacle to that. The church is an obstacle to that. Um, civil society is an obstacle to that. So let's focus on the family, because uh, Karl Marx understood that the family really was the transmission belt of values from one generation to the next. So culture, uh, religion, tradition, all these things were handed on from one generation to the next through the family. And so that's why Karl Marx came out and very early on said that children should be raised in state institutions from the moment they can get along without their mother. Um, th this was more than just a hatred of families for its own sake. This was an effort to uh, advance the revolution because as long as parents were indoctrinating their children to believe that family is desirable, to believe that uh, government has a role, family has a role, church has a role, and each of these institutions has its own sphere of authority. Um, as long as that paradigm existed, the state could not become supreme over everything. Um, and there's also much less of a need for the state when you have strong nuclear families. Uh, a strong family doesn't need government welfare, typically. A strong family doesn't need uh, help determining what to feed their children, how to uh, take care of the health of their children. Uh, and so as long as the family is there, as long as the church is there, it's a major barrier to the encroachment of the state into all these other areas. And so I think part of the, the reason we see this radical and, and all-encompassing push to normalize what we call LGBTism today, now they're adding more letters, LGBTQ+, and eventually they'll add a P on there, Part of the reason is just to, to use that as a battering ram against the family so that the state can expand. Um, and, and clearly, uh, subversive communist powers um, are getting a huge kick out of this, right? The Chinese are not allowing uh, their men to be indoctrinated to believe that they might be women. The Russians are not allowing that, certainly. Um, and so I, I think there is a, a definite subversive element to this. But the majority of the people who are pushing this are, are clearly of Western origin. Um, you can trace the history back and you'll find uh, a lot of it begins in Berlin, actually uh, over a century ago, with uh, the beginnings of the sexual revolution there, the explosion in homosexuality, all these uh, nightclubs, all this so-called sex research. And um, it, it kind of progresses from there. We have, of course, the Frankfurt School, which is uh, clearly Marxist, clearly has links to the communist conspiracy in Moscow, and clearly has as one of its objectives um, what today is called cultural Marxism, the, the march through cultural institutions for the purpose of dismantling traditional society, Christian civilization, and replacing it with a new paradigm. Uh, so all that's clearly involved. Now, eventually, the, the Frankfurt School gets chased out of Germany, and they come to America, where with Rockefeller money and help from the elites here in the United States, they get posted up uh, in key positions in key academic institutions across the country, from Columbia University to University of California, Los Angeles, from coast to coast. And uh, from there, this they start promoting this poison. And it's not all LGBT stuff. Uh, one of the big uh, innovations that came out of the Frankfurt School was this idea of the authoritarian male. And uh, suddenly the traditional father was painted as a tyrant in his own home uh, and was lording it over his wife and children. And so it's, they, they did a very specific campaign to try to basically obliterate the, the traditional understanding of fatherhood, that a father leads his family, protects his family, et cetera, um, and paint that as some sort of proto-fascist incubator for totalitarian movements, when really quite the opposite is true, right? Uh, um, strong families led by present and strong fathers are what contributes to the existence of ordered liberty and Christian civilization as we've known it in the, the free political institutions that we've known. So this was another subversive campaign by the same people who pushed the LGBT movement aimed at the same thing, dismantling the nuclear family. Can we talk about education for a second and how long it's been around? Horace Mann is who I was, who I was thinking of. Uh, it, it was his idea. Well, it goes back even further. I mean, okay. Plato is, of course, the first guy who came up with the idea of government school that I can find. Mm -hmm. uh, but it really didn't take root in Western society until Horace Mann. But Horace Mann's ideas ultimately came from Prussia. Mm -hmm. And the ideas from Prussia are traced back to a guy, another communist long before Karl Marx called Robert Owens. And uh, he set up a, a communist colony called New Harmony in Indiana. <laughs> and um, it failed. Because, of course, when you get rid of private property, when you try to do things in, in a way that uh, is not 
divinely prescribed, you know, the family is something God prescribed, private property is something God prescribed, uh, you end up with disaster. But uh, Robert Owen came up with the idea that the reason it didn't work is because parents were indoctrinated into this individualistic way of seeing things, this private property ideas, and then they would pass that on to their children and kind of contaminate their precious blank slate minds that um, and, and so Robert Owen came up with this idea that, uh, no, the government ought to take over the education of children. Um, to bring that about, he um, he did a number of things. He wrote a whole bunch of essays, and the Prussian ambassador ended up getting a copy. And um, according to Robert Owen in his own autobiography, the Prussian dictator so approved of these essays that he ordered his interior minister to start implementing them in Prussia. But one of the other things that Robert Owen did was set up um, – what a whistleblower described as a secret society, um, a man who was involved with this effort, Orestes Brownson. He ended up becoming a Catholic and uh, repenting of his role in this process. But uh, he wrote a book about this, and uh, he described the existence of the secret society that was hatched by Robert Owen. And he said the, the twin goals of the society were to shift public opinion in favor of government control over education, and then also to get men elected to the legislatures who would support government control over education. And um, the ultimate objective, according to Orestes Brownson, who blew the whistle, was to destroy Christianity uh, because Christianity was the major obstacle and, and everything that goes with Christianity, right? The nuclear family, the institutions of private property, the moral code laid down in the Ten Commandments. Um, I mean, th this was a clear brick wall standing in the path of utopia as they saw it. Uh, and so Robert, uh, Robert Owen... Um, Horace Mann, and then all the way down to John Dewey, all understood that uh, the nuclear family, the church, the cultural institutions had to be transformed and dismantled so that they could be replaced with the all-powerful state. The all-powerful state. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and, and you can read all about it. I mean, look, read the Communist Manifesto, read the Naked Communist um, that was written in, what, 1953? I think it was? 58. 58. First published. Sorry. Um, but wow, you can see if you need an overview, if you need something like a quick learn. And I, and I do believe um, in Crimes of the Educators, um, Alex and I'm drawing a blank on his name. Uh, I forget who he co-wrote that with. Anyway, Sam Blumenfeld. Sam Blumenfeld. Yep. Um, so they go through the history of education. And wow, is it ever eye-opening mm -hmm. when you learn about – and the new Harmony in Indiana, <laughs> we actually were going to go and, and shoot down there. Yeah, it's a, it's a very odd place. Uh-huh. And the, there are remnants of this settlement still there, and they've actually – kind of built almost these monuments to memorialize it. it's i mean it's hysterical only only leftist nazis would do this right because it's let's memorialize yet another abject failure of communism oh, right, right? right. <laughs> yeah but but how many people actually know the truth of it you know yeah. they they have to like try to plant their seeds mm. and constantly ugh. yeah well, and, yeah, and and what's interesting too, he you know he talks about um, the notion of private property laid out in scriptures, and this is one of those things that again because we've stopped we've stopped teaching our children critical thinking skills, and the churches largely have stopped preaching from the scriptures. A lot of them, a lot of them, and so not what, all of them. There not, are fabulous, not, fabulous pastors out there. Not all of them, but. Uh, you know, if you don't read the scriptures for yourself and think critically about it, it's so obvious that private property is, if you read, if you read the Pentateuch, mm -hmm. right, the, the, the first five books of the Bible, especially, um, the, you know, where the Lord is laying out all of the, all of the laws mm -hmm. for the nation of Israel. And it goes on and on and on about ownership mm -hmm. of things um oh by the way there are boundaries for nations right <laughs> they're <laughs> like all there, given there borders are clear, there are clearly dividing lines yes they're all given borders <laughs> and yeah well the nations were created by the lord yeah you know um anyway sorry i didn't mean to go off different tribes different peoples yeah. different languages that's that was instituted by the lord um it is interesting i mean Thou shalt not steal. Mm -hmm. 
if nobody owns anything and they're supposed to be happy with that, then how can you steal? Mm -hmm. That's that's the World Economic Forum's new goal for everyone. Is right. You're not going to own anything and you're going to love right. it. So when you see, when you hear those words, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Uh -huh. That is communism. Mm -hmm. It's not that that no one owns anything. It's that the state owns everything. Right. You don't get to own it anymore. We'll talk about this in future podcasts. This, the, their their plans. These people are they're diabolical. They're evil, and they're out of their freaking minds. Mm -hmm. and, and it's always failed, and it always leads right. to mass killing. So we know biblically that they will succeed, quote unquote, succeed once when the Lord takes the church and the rise of the Antichrist. It will be world totalitarian communism, mm -hmm. some form of it. It yeah. will be mass death. One world government. Yeah, one world government. That's you hear them. That's all they can think about. They're bent on it. Right. Um, it will succeed for a very brief time or so they will think that it has succeeded mm -hmm. but uh it never it never works okay i got one more clip without okay one more okay here we go yeah i, I think it's it's very much like a cult and uh you know i've talked to people who've talked about trying to get somebody out of this movement it's very much like trying to get somebody out of a cult because um they, they've been trained and and conditioned very much in the same way that cults do uh to to when you hear certain terms, instead of actually thinking about them, instead of processing them, uh, just shutting down. And, and that's what they're doing to the kids right now in the schools. Uh, they're not teaching them to think. They're conditioning them uh, to hear certain trigger words. And they, they even use the word, so now you're triggered. And then you're supposed to, instead of thinking rationally about what was said and thinking about whether it makes sense, you're supposed to just think, well, that's racist, that's sexist, that's homophobic, that's transphobic is the new one. Um, so you're not actually thinking about the argument, you're not actually thinking about the points made, you're not actually thinking about the facts that were presented, you're just shutting down, like, kind of like Pavlov's dogs, right? You're just salivating without thinking about what was said. And, and I think that's what's happening to these kids. They're being conditioned to respond to certain stimuli in certain ways. And it, this is very much uh, cult-like behavior. So another big part of this, I think, is the population control. Uh, the elites or self-proclaimed elites, I, I like to call them the predator class, but the predator class has made very clear openly and repeatedly that they think there's too many of us. Um, they they want to see a drastically reduced population on the planet. Uh, they claim it's for sustainability because they, they want to protect the environment and humans are supposedly so damaging to the environment. And I've seen this with my own eyes. I've been to these UN conferences for over a decade and they're very open about the fact that they want to reduce the population. Um, you know, they, they don't beat around the bush. They just tell you we need to get uh, the population down quite significantly. Um, and I, I think that's one of the real goals of the LGBT movement, because once you've got a child sucked into this, um, that's numerous children that are very likely not going to be born, right? If they're in a homosexual relationship, of course, homosexual relationships can't produce children, uh, at least not naturally. Uh, if they become, if they go down the transgender route, then they, they literally are physically incapable of producing children. They've, you know, mutilated their, their reproductive organs. They have um, taken hormones that have uh, completely destroyed their reproductive organs. And so then they're left uh, unable to procreate. And, um, and, you know, the, the elites, again, have been so open about this, and, and they've talked about how there's too many Africans, they, they think there's too many people in all these different parts of the world. I think this is a, a really significant part of what's happening here, is they want to make sure that these people are not having children and that the population will continue to decrease. Well, I, I think what we're going to see after the transgenderism, or maybe even in tandem with it, is a more obvious push to normalize pedophilia um, because that's happening already. Um, they are normalizing this now uh, in classrooms across the country. Um, I've, I've got uh, videos. Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll share one with you guys. It's um, uh, the assistant superintendent of curricula for the uh, Breo Linda School District in California. And a mom, uh, the mom who, who recorded this video actually sent it to me. The, she, she says, uh, hey, why are you teaching my kids about pedophilia? 
And um, the assistant superintendent doesn't deny that that's what's happening. He says, well, you know, it's a different sexual orientation. Uh, it's a different gender identity, gender relations that have existed in history. And so it's very important that we teach this to the children. Uh, she said it on video. We have the video. Um, and so that, that was all in the context of California had passed a law a few years earlier mandating um, the teaching of LGBTQ plus history. Uh, and and somehow they got it in their minds that they had to teach um, that Greek men used to have sexual relations with children as part of that history. No mention of Sodom and Gomorrah, of course, but um, but they had to point out that Greek men used to have sexual relations with children, and it wasn't that big a deal. And and again, when asked why, well, it's because different sexual orientations. So. We've seen this pattern now. We've even seen it in the mainstream media. We've seen some of the biggest newspapers in the country promote this idea that uh, being a minor attracted person, is the terminology they use, a map, um, is just a different sexual orientation. And they've already laid the groundwork with the homosexuality, right? Homosexuality is just a different sexual orientation is what they say. It's something you're born with. And so, um, you know, if you're born with it, how could it possibly be wrong? Well, same thing they're now doing with, they're just using the foundation that was built by the homosexual movement to now, on top of that, lay down the pedophilia. So, well, it's just how these people were born. They're just attracted to children. And so, uh, you know, what can you do? It's just how they were born. So that's where this is going. Um, and, and if you read Planned Parenthood's documents, you find a lot of them um, that make this very clear as well. Uh, you know, they, they tell the kids that you have sexual rights and, and you, you're allowed to exercise. They, they portray this as if it were a right and that people who stand in the way of you exercising your right to sexual activity are somehow infringing on your rights. Uh, and they're, they're marketing this stuff to children. So uh, it's very clear where this is going. It's very clear where they eventually hope to, to get this. Um, you know, one, once they abandoned biblical sexual morality and biblical truth, um, it opened up a Pandora's box where everything and anything can go. And so right now, the current standard is consent. Right? If, if there's consent, then anything is fine. It could be, you know, group sex. It could be, um, you know, homosexual sex. It could be transgender sex. It could be a guy who thinks he's a girl having sex with a girl who thinks she's a guy and pretending to be lesbians or gay. I mean, it's, it could be anything. But if there's consent, then it's ethical, then it's moral. And the next step, and, and you see the link very clearly, they're telling us that these children can consent to uh, gender-affirming surgery. Right? A, a 12-year-old can decide they want to go on puberty blockers or hormones. Well, if a 12-year-old can make those kinds of decisions, if they can consent to gender-affirming care, why in the world can that same 12-year-old not consent to sexual activity with an adult? You're infringing on their sexual rights. Uh, so that's where this is going. I think when you read the UN's documents, it becomes clear. When you read Planned Parenthood documents, it becomes clear. Um, and, and frankly, why else would you want to be sexualizing children, right? I mean, yeah, there's the, the issue of dismantling the family. I think that's a big part of it by demonizing traditional morality, demonizing biblical morality. But there's also, you know, why do these people feel the need to teach very young children about sexual intercourse? And the reason is they're grooming them, they're preparing them for becoming sexually active eventually with adults. So... So disgusting. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> well, I think several. I mean, they're... We, he always Alex is a is a fabulous interview. It's mm -hmm. always great to talk to him. And you uh, I always learn so much. Encyclopedia. Right, really, literally, uh, you know, you ask him anything and you just tell him and he just goes because he's just been studying this stuff for so long. And mm -hmm. he, do, he does go and travels all over to to stay up to date on what's happening. But one of the things of the, the depopulation and just think about it for a moment, if you have all of these kids on these cross sex hormones, you're you're essentially sterilizing all of these people all, all of these children from mm -hmm. ever having families of their own and so it goes right into the depopulation agenda yeah. that has been around for a very long time yeah it has so you remember we were i think we were on our way to interview alex and remember i had said something about hey we're going to be going through georgia uh-huh i've always wanted to see this creepy the Georgia Guidestones. Uh, the Georgia Guidestones, mm -hmm. right? So if you don't know what these these are or were, um, because <laughs> there there's a there's mystery around them. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, nobody knows where they came from. Well, I think Ted Turner had a lot to do with <sighs> getting these put up and play. Anyway, it was like a so it was 
these big obelisk stones that look like uh, almost like Stonehenge. Mm-hmm. And you know, there was all this mystery on, you know, well, where, who donated the land and who put this in place? Well, there's, there's good evidence that it was people like Ted Turner and, um, who believes in this stuff. Mm-hmm. But remember we were, we had talked about taking a little detour to see these <laughs> yeah. and so, and somebody blew them up. Right. Yeah, we, uh, we were in. I remember we were uh, in Florida by yeah. the t- by the time we found out, and we're like, "What?" Yeah, <laughs> I remember texting Alex yeah. right after I read it, and I said, "Somebody just blew him up." Uh, I think they had to get an, a reward for that. But um, so written on these Georgia guidestones, uh-huh. um, and they were in different languages too. If I if I yes. if I'm not yeah. mistaken, yeah. Okay, so although although the message is a beautiful ideal tracing its roots back to the concept of a utopia, it also entails sinister prospects for the future of humanity. The message is considered as the new Ten Commandments for an age governed by reason. Right. Okay, can you just like set the stage for people? What does this look like? And because if you've never, if you don't even know what we're talking about, Georgia Guidestones, mm-hmm. um, does it say how tall they are uh, or were? Were. <laughs> Um, it doesn't say, it says the outer stones were 42,000 pounds each center stone was 20,000 pounds. And how many stones were there? Um, oh, let's see. There's four around the edges. Okay. Oh, it was Spanish, English, Russian, Babylonian cuneiform, Egyptian hieroglyphics, classical Greek, Swahili, Hindi, Sanskrit, Hebrew, and Arabic. No Chinese? Okay, they were 16 foot 4 inches high and 6 foot 6 wide. Yeah, so all together about almost 17 feet tall. Yeah, okay. Um... And they were kind of in this in this circle. Just yeah, they're kind of yeah. Well, we'll, so we'll put the link to this so you okay. can take a look at oh, overall height nineteen foot three inches. Okay. Um, this is interesting. Now considered as the new Ten Commandments for an age governed by reason. What other uh, temple have we? The satanic of? temple. Yes, the satanic temple an is age all about, governed by reason. Yes. So this is satanic. Um, they read as follows: Number one. Number one, maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. Okay. So <laughs> you don't have to go any further. Like, <laughs> all right. And, and I could play clip after clip after clip, Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab and all these people talking about how there's too many people. Yes. We need to reduce the population. Well, how do you do that exactly? Uh-huh. How do you reduce the population on a, on a global mass scale? Let's see. You either sterilize a bunch of them so they stop reproducing or you kill them unleash a mysterious a mysterious bioweapon and then give them a shot that'll kill them uh number two guide reproduction wisely improving fitness and diversity uh, uh so is that is that cse comprehensive sex ed guide reproduction wisely this is planned parenthood yeah Number three, unite humanity with a living new language. What is that? One world government needs a one world language. They're trying, they're trying to unite all of humanity under one government, one language, uh-huh. one currency. Uh-huh. Right? Number four, rule, passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. <laughs> and this is sa- this is this is the satanic temple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number five: protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Social justice. Um, number six: let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Oh, great! Goody, right. can't wait. Yeah, now this is coming. They, they are trying so hard. Um, I'm pretty sure it's already here. I, I read an article about the world courts. There is a there is a quote world court, yeah. but that's why they have to they have to uh, attack the sovereignty of nations by dissolving their borders, mm-hmm. so that their disputes are have to be settled by a world court. That's that's what it is. Um, number seven, avoid petty laws and useless officials. 
That one's kind of strange. Reminds me of, um, you know, instead of sending the police, you're going to send the, what did they call oh, them? Social workers. Public, public, public something. Yeah. yeah I, I think remember. when they say useless officials, they're talking about police. Yeah. Number eight, balance personal rights with social duties. Uh-huh. You, you ESG know. scores? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Nine, prize, truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. What? I, Don't know. Okay. Can't interpret no, that one. And number 10, be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. <laughs> Climate change. Climate change. <laughs> Don't be a cancer on the earth. No, remember we watched The Matrix again the other oh, night? Yeah. Remember when Agent Smith is they're trying to hack into Morpheus's brain? Oh yes. And he's and he has this talk with him. He goes, You humans are a cancer on this earth. And we are the cure. Uh-huh. <laughs> Oh, sometimes I just don't know. I like to share some revelations that I have had in during my time here, Morpheus. Yeah. That's all that I have. So that oh. is Alex Newman. Yes, he's in Dysphoria. He was part of the glorious cast of Dysphoria. Yes. And when is our, our first screening again? September 29th, Noblesville, Indiana. Tickets will go on sale uh, August 1st. August 1st. Yeah. But I would like to read. So we did have somebody leave a review on iTunes for us. So if oh. you leave a review, if you guys are listening on iTunes or wherever you're listening from, um, leave us a review, screenshot and send it to us. I mean, because yeah. I don't always see them, but I just happen to see this one. Um, it says, if you have kids or grandkids and want to know, this is five star rating. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for the five star, Terry. Um, if you have kids or grandkids and want to know the world they are facing, this podcast is a must hear the truth about schools, legislation, government overreach, all from a Christian worldview. Find out what you are missing and how to be a force for good. Fearless is fierce. Awesome. Woo! Thank you very Thank much for you. that. That was nice. Yes. And a big shout out to... Oh, sorry. Amelia from Texas okay. for her donation to the podcast. Oh, thank, thank you, for, Amelia. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Yes. We appreciate it. So your donation goes a long way and keeps us all on the air. Yes, it does. Well, you guys, that is all the time we have for today. And if you found this podcast helpful, be sure to share with your friends and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, March on Saints. Have a wonderfully blessed week. Call me Mr. Lambright. Talk to you next Tuesday. You're everyone's problem.